Hi, welcome to the first of our online um, preachers um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, my name's Jenny, if you don't know me. And my name's Chris, I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Church. Um, we're going to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. Um, we're at home uh, self-isolating for the next two weeks, so we've got a poorly little girl. Um, so we um, hope that you aren't getting too bored. We can appreciate what that feels like if you're self-isolating for any reason. Um, and we um, hope that you haven't run out of toilet roll because everyone in the country seems to have. Um, we hope that you all are well and are staying well and that we can see you properly soon. Um, we also wanted to wish those mums a happy Mother's Day. Um, whatever you end up doing today, which is probably not what you had originally planned to be doing, um, we hope that you have a really special day. And do be ringing each other, as I said, after... Um, after the meeting or service this morning. Um, so we're going to preach this morning on um, 1 Corinthians 13. So if you've got your Bibles, then open those up because I'm afraid the words will not appear behind us today. <laughs> so we're going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 8. And these pas this passage is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. In fact, if you're listening today and you're not a Christian, you'll still be familiar with these words because you'll see them on um, uh, plaques and things like that. But actually, these are the words that are always read at weddings. And sometimes people can dismiss them as romantic, sentimental um, uh, passages. But actually, this passage has the um, potential to transform our whole church community because it wasn't written uh, to be read as a nice passage about love at weddings or about marriage. It was written for the local church and it was written for the local church um, in Corinth originally, but it's just as relevant today for us. Um, and it's what David Pryor about this passage says that when the local church grasps it, it can be dynamite and completely transform us. So we're reading from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have not, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I'm going to pass you over now to Chris. Good morning Christ Church, it's always a privilege to be sharing God's word with you and as we dwell on these amazing words from the Apostle Paul we will begin to know and experience the love that God intends for his church. As we read the whole of God's word we will get caught up in and begin to understand the foundations of love. We'll begin to, begin to understand the motivations of love and the path and the incentives of love and the form of love and most importantly we will begin to understand the God of love himself. So I'd like to take a bit of time now just to recount one of the stories that Jesus told to his disciples while he was here on the earth. 
one of these, um, this story that he told, this parable that he told, um, he told to show us and demonstrate God's love towards us. Hopefully you'll see as I paraphrase this parable, um, some of the attributes of love that Jenny just read about in 1 Corinthians. So the story is about a father with two sons. You will be familiar with this story. And the story begins by revealing that the younger of these sons has approached his father and he demands from his father his share of his, of his inheritance. He demands the money um, and the land and the possessions that would have been his at his father's death. A demand that wasn't just rude and selfish, but it was deeply dishonouring of his father. And without question, his father re um, responds by graciously dividing his possessions between his two sons. All of his wealth, all of his physical and social value, he divides between his sons. Then only a few days later, his younger, sons his younger son decides to take what is now his and leave his father's home leaving his father to bear the loss of one of his sons and the prospect of maybe never seeing this son again. The father only has to trust um, that his son will do what is right with his portion. Then the story goes on and we're told that the son doesn't do what is right with his portion. He decides to recklessly waste it um, he spends it all, he spends everything. Everything the father had ever worked for was gone because of his son's <clears throat> reckless extravagance. Then crisis hits and there's a time of famine. The son is left to live um, with nothing. He has nothing to live by, he has no money, he has no friends, he's got no family around him and he's got no hope. And he ends up in a pigsty. So the son went from a place of um, honour in his father's household, a place, place of privilege, to basically eating pig's food in the middle of a field. And it's at that moment, in the pit of despair, that he humbles himself. And he remembers that his father had always treated him well. He remembers that his father was a loving and generous father. So the younger son decides to humble himself um, and he decides to go home with the intent of asking for forgiveness with the small hope that he might be made a servant of his father. Now meanwhile the father is at home and he's waiting for his son he obviously wants him to come back and he's hoping and trusting that one day he will. And then one day in the distance he sees his son coming. And without a second thought the father runs with compassion in his heart. And he flings his arms wide open and embraces his son to welcome him home. Now the younger son tries to fumble an apology um, and asked to become one of his father's servants, but the father isn't having anything of it. 
Instead of punishing his son, the father asks his servant to bring him the finest clothes and the finest of jewellery for his son. And he tells the servant to kill the fattened calf that they've been saving and to bring the finest food and the finest drink to celebrate his son's return. So despite the son's reckless living and complete lack of love towards his father, the father in return now shows extravagant and lavish expenditure upon his son, displaying what love truly is, returning to his son the place of honour in his household, all the while rejoicing. The story goes on and we see um, that the other son, the older son, has become jealous of his father's, um, the way that his father is treated his son has become jealous at his, at his brother's undeserved welcome. He forgets what he already has um, and he forgets to be grateful for his sonship and he starts to judge his brother. And he fails to see um, his own selfishness and his own resentfulness. The older brother is unable to bear the forgiveness of, that his father has shown his brother unable to trust his brother, unable to rejoice in his return, and instead he boasts in his own merits, wishing to be treated differently, showing no kindness and no patience. But the father, let's look at how the father responds. The father shows love that is steadfast. He is patient beyond the point of reasonableness. He's kind even when he wasn't shown kindness by either of his sons. He didn't envy his son when he went out and spent his achievements. He does not hold resentment for his son's shameful actions. He doesn't insist on how his son should have spent the money or judge him for his mistakes. He wasn't rude or arrogant when he was shown rudeness and arrogance by his family. Instead, he rejoices in his son's return, showing even more kindness, amounting even more gifts and food, and bearing, uh, all the while bearing upon himself the humiliation and the cost that his son's actions had caused. And he never lost hope, and he always remained true. And this is actually how God has shown his love towards us. That's why Jesus told the story. That we, by our many wrongs, have separated ourselves from God. Though we have brought pain and insult upon our Father and our Creator, he bore our wrongs. And he has taken upon himself the pain and the insult that we deserve by dying for us. For the humiliation that we have caused him, he has, he has bore the humiliation upon himself. And like the father lavished favour and forgiveness upon his two sons, our father has lavished favour and forgiveness upon us, even when we haven't deserved it. He's given us a place of honour and a place of sonship. 
lavishing on us an mm. inheritance that we could never earn. Why did he do that? He did it because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me with an unending love. If you could describe the Bible in one sentence, it would be true to say that it is one giant love story where God, who in himself is love, creates a people for relationship so that they can enjoy that love from him and for him. It's a story of mercy and compassion fueled by love. Fueled by love towards a people who reject their creator. It's a story of a just and holy God who chose to satisfy his own perfect judgments against our sin by placing them upon his son. And he bears the punishment that should have been ours to bear. It's a love story of patience and kindness towards a wayward world. It's a love story that gives true hope and true joy and true life. It's a love story about a love so captivating and so unstoppable and so completely unchangeable. The Bible is a love story about a love that never fails. I'm going to pass you back to Jenny now. So before we were any, any further, I wanted to show you a photo and the best way I could think to do this was over a laptop. So a few months ago, I um, decided I wanted to make chocolate cinnamon rolls and I found a recipe for them online and they looked amazing. And if you don't know me, I love cooking, I love baking, I really, really love eating cake. And um, this recipe sounded amazing because it was basically just sugar and fat and chocolate and all the good things. So I spent ages making them. I really enjoyed the process. I kneaded the dough, I let it prove and rise and I um, put them in the oven feeling really smug with myself. And they smelled amazing. And when we got it out of the oven, we, um, we put them out on the tray and they actually ended up looking like this. So I had everything that I needed to make these rolls. I had the ingredients, I had the passion, I had the recipe and I was excited. I had the vision but I clearly lacked something in my design and so as amazing as they were and as beautiful as they tasted, nobody wanted to eat them because they looked a lot like poop. And that was really disappointing. And actually I tried really, really hard, but without the design and the, the look of it, people just didn't want to eat it for some reason. Even my children were put off. And actually in the same way, Paul tells us in this chapter that if we don't have love, we are nothing. Or we need love to live out our lives and to um, understand love, to be able to love other people. Paul says without love, we have nothing, we are nothing. That no spiritual gift no amount of faith, no amount of money you can give, no act of kindness you can do amounts to anything. And yet he doesn't just stop there and leave us stranded, thoroughly miserable like it depends on ourselves. He points us to the truth of Jesus and his death on the cross. The death that um, is sacrificial and um, amazing because it deals with all of our sin, all those wrong things that we've done. And it gives us a promise of hope 
and love that is available to everybody, whether you know Jesus today or not. And Paul points us to this truth that changes our, in our hearts individually, it changes us as a church and as a family um, and impacts our whole community. In 1 John 7, uh, sorry, 1 John 4, verses 7 to 11. So 1 John 4, 7 to 11, it says, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So the reason we show love is because we know love. We know the love that God has shown us, a love that isn't dependent on us, but then it's not um, dependent on our merit or even our failures. It's dependent on the person that um, that is giving the love. It's dependent on God, on his character, his steadfastness, and on Jesus's um, death and resurrection and his sacrifice he made for us. So actually, that's the reason that we ought to love one another. So if you're a child listening today and you want to know how to love your friends, how to love your parents, how to love your siblings, and that can be a really hard one, um, then show, ask God to show you how much he loves you and how much he, um, he wants to love you and get to know you. If you're a parent, a friend, a grandparent, if you um, want to know how to love a particular person who's really difficult, ask God to show you how much he loves you as your father, as your friend, as as some as you when you're really difficult. And um, ask him to show you that love, and that love is um is what you will be able to use to show love to other people that need it. In verse eight of the passage in one Corinthians, it um, tells us that God and um, that love never fails, and that can be translated as love never stops. It never stops loving, never dies. Love never ends. Love lasts forever. And the love that love that love that God loves us with is an everlasting love. It's an agape love. That's what the Greek word for it, as many of you may already have known. And that's not a love that is fleeting, that is romantic and intense and then dies out when, when someone gets bored of a relationship. It's an unconditional love. It's a self-sacrificing love, not um, a love that... Um, is you know fleeting is is um, there for a season and then not it's an unconditional selfless sacrificial love and that's the love that Jesus shows us in Jeremiah 3 verse 13 it says I have loved you with an sorry Jeremiah 31 verse 3 Jeremiah 31 verse 3 can't do my numbers today I have loved you with an everlasting love I've drawn you with unfailing kindness so in this passage, Paul, Paul points out what love isn't and what love is. And I'm really quickly just going to go through those before we finish this morning. So love, what love is not. Love is not envy or it does not envy. It's not proud. It's not boastful. doesn't dishonour. It isn't self-seeking. isn't eagerly angered. doesn't keep records of wrong. doesn't delight in evil. And all those is-nots are really traits of our own proud, selfish natures, aren't they? You might be a much nicer person than me. You might try and argue that you're not proud and sinful and do things wrong. Um, but you can't argue with me because I'm on a video and I can say what I like because there's nobody <laughs> to shout back at me. Which is quite nice when you've got four little children. But actually, 
the um, we are by nature we're selfish we want things to be done our own way and when things go wrong or we look silly we're proud that hurts actually we all are sinful at times and um, the church in Corinth certainly were Paul in the previous chapters in 1 Corinthians is picking them up for doing things like um, taking each other to court for um, boasting in their own abilities for being rude to each other for causing each other to stumble to um, being jealous of each other and actually when we choose to follow Jesus's love and Jesus's example we're choosing to resist our own pride and our own sinfulness and John Piper actually says the opposite of love is not hate but it's pride so in contrast then, what is God's love? What is love? Love is patient. It says it's long-suffering or patient. It's kind. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always hopes, trusts, perseveres. It's not an accident that all of these words perfectly describe Jesus. And if you were to substitute the word love in this passage for the name Jesus, it would make perfect sense. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind, Jesus rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This isn't necessarily a def definition of what love is. It's a, um, it's a list of how we can practice loving one another. And it does take practice, we do get it wrong. And we, um, but if we practice things enough, eventually it becomes habitual, it becomes a habit and um, we become more and more like Jesus. So we, when we are patient, when we bear with each other in love, like we're told to in Ephesians 4 verse 2, we are denying our own right or um, denying our own selfish um, right to be selfish, our own self-imposed rights to be selfish or to have things our own way or do things the way that we want to do. We're thinking of other people and putting them before ourselves. We love people with patience because God shows us patience. We love people with kindness because God has already shown us kindness. We protect the vulnerable because God protects us when we're vulnerable. We hope because or we hope in him because we have been given an eternal hope to enjoy forever. In today's climate, there are going to be many of us who are going to be stuck at home, who are going to be isolated, who some for quite lengthy periods of time based on, you know, the information that we've been given by the government. It's a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. People are going to be worried. They're going to be burdened financially. Um, and as I said, some of us in the church will be feeling like that. But we will all know people outside of our um, church family and outside of our, our own family, our friends, our neighbours who will be in that position. We've got an opportunity within this to show them the love of God that has already been perfectly demonstrated to us. And in fact, in John 13 verse 35, it tells us that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As Chris has already pointed out to us this morning, God is love. So through him we find all we need to love, even when it feels hard or impossible. We can find all we need to love other people through the love of Jesus. The love that he shows us, the power of his Holy Spirit in us, and the example that he gives us of his perfect sacrificial love. 
So let's continue as we sum up to look out for each other this week. Um, drop a text or um, ring somebody if you um, haven't heard from them for a while. Uh, FaceTime them, use whatever technology you want to use, especially if you're hip and trendy, not like me. Um, speak to people on apps by FaceTime, ring them, do anything you can um, to contact them. If you know people are going to need supplies and practical help, just go and help them, get alongside them. Keep an eye out for people you think might be struggling. Text them a Bible verse or en encourage them with a message. Um, and I don't feel like I need to keep reminding you actually because I know it's something that as a church will be great at. But let's just keep being church online, whatever that looks like for the foreseeable future. Um, if you want anyone to pray with you specifically, as I said, email the office um, and we will get you in touch with someone from the pastoral team. It does, might not be that they can come round and pray with you, but they will get alongside you and support you um, via phone and, you know, pray with you over the phone. Don't let um, the um, lack of being out uh, or lack of being able to go out affect um, your uh, church community. Um, and so just to sum up this morning, I'd love to pray for us, to pray for us as a church. Um, and uh, then we'll uh, finish and I'd love you to go and make those phone calls that Sai suggested and talk to each other after the service. <laughs> God, we thank you so much. Uh, I thank you so much for the technology actually that has been provided actually, although sometimes it, it can be frustrating and difficult, God, that you've given us ways to communicate with each other in light of the, um, the current situations. God, I thank you so much that we can have an amazing opportunity um, to show your love. I thank you so much that you show us your love and you loved us first. I thank you that anything we do flows from that love and I just pray that you would uh, uh, just, just show and reveal your um, unconditional sacrificial love to each and every person that's been listening this morning, each and every person that has um, sat through um, this and that each person in the church would know deeper through this season the love that you have for them, the grace and the compassion that you have for them and that would um, allow us just to be more um, compassionate like you are Jesus, more loving like you are, more gracious and kind and patient with each other in the way that you are Jesus. Protect our church family this week, protect um, people from illness um, God, help them to um, uh, have all their needs met in you. And God, I pray that you would just really um, provide for people this week, especially if they are self-isolating. Amen.